0: Innovating Cosmos is a global community of innovators and would-be innovators who innovate collaboratively to make the world better, richer, healthier, and fairer for all. Welcome to episode eight of Innovating Cosmos podcast. I'm Peter Letts. The world is full of innovators. It's also full of entrepreneurs. Thank goodness for both. We'd still be living in caves. Now we'd like to suggest that you can be an innovator without being an entrepreneur. You can create products and processes without building a major enterprise around them. But is the reverse true? Can you be an entrepreneur, a really successful entrepreneur, without being an innovator? This week, we have the perfect case study for you of an entrepreneur whose highly innovative ideas have played a big role in success. We think he's living proof that great entrepreneurship requires innovative thinking, and Adam Centorino has both in spades. Adam is the founder of Centorino Technologies, a company that provides technology solutions to businesses. But it's not just the technologies that have brought Adam success. Adam's innovative thinking around the systems he's introduced, his attention to staff, and his amazing focus on customer service. These are the big drivers behind the success of Centorino Technologies. In fact, Adam will tell us that he puts customer service way beyond profits, and to assist in the process, he famously has dashboards all around the office to keep his loyal, energised staff up to speed with what's really going on. We'll find out more about dashboards, systems and staff at Centorino Technologies in a moment. The company's grown 30% year-on-year since it opened its doors nine years ago, gaining BRW Fast 100 status along the way. What started as purely a technology company is now much more as Adam and his team tailor IT solutions for clients, partnering with them to ensure long-term success. It's that customer service focus. And in recognition, Centorino Technologies has won the National Customer Service Excellence Award for three years in a row. Adam's come a long way from the young whiz kid who at primary school was already building the school's entire IT network. And his obsession with gadgetry went back even further than that, as he recounts for B Media Production Executive Producer, Heather Dawson.
1: My parents, unfortunately, had to take our vacuum cleaner when I was only three years old to uh, lawn. Uh, I had a big obsession with it and never let it uh, leave my side.
2: <laughs> the vacuum cleaner? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, tell us what you did with your very first computer when you were still very small. Uh,
1: yeah, I got my first computer in grade five, and um, my parents said to me, "I, oh, you can plug it in and uh, start using it. And I said, no, I want to pull it apart first. So I completely deassembled the entire thing and then pieced it back together. And I saw there's a warranty void if removed sticker on it. And I said, oh, yeah, whatever. And I just pulled off the sticker and decided that uh, if I couldn't put it back together, then I'll just sit there for hours and figure it out until I could.
2: By the time you were in grade six, you were already in charge of establishing the school's entire IT network. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in primary school, in grade six, my uh, IT teacher asked my parents if it was okay if I skipped class for a a few weeks while I helped to set up the IT at the school. So, yeah.
2: I gather your university days didn't last even a day, really, and that your mum wasn't happy. What does that say about education?
1: I think education is incredibly important. The issue for me was that I had already experienced managing a large network. Uh, from year eight, I was employed at my secondary school to manage their network. So I'd managed a, a computer network of uh, well over a thousand devices. So I really didn't want to sit there and sit through university for four years. So I think university is incredibly important, but to a certain degree.
2: Well, let's talk about Centurino Technologies. You founded it nine years ago now and you've grown the business every year since then. How have you done that while still remaining apparently unstressed and very much together? Uh, Look,
1: it's absolutely been a challenge. Any sort of growth is not easy to achieve, especially in in these economic times. But one of the things for me is that every day we've strived as a business and I've come into the business always trying to push this, we need to do better, we need to continuously improve customer outcomes. We're incredibly focused on delivering our customers world-class service so making sure that from a customer service standpoint, they're receiving the very best that they can. And whilst doing so, I want to make sure that our team has fun at work and, and we build a, a great place to work. So those two things have been my real drive and something that we've continuously focused on developing.
2: Well, you've said that customer service is far more important to you than making a profit. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. Customer service is, uh, in my opinion, something that is very uncommon these days. Um, it's something that a lot of businesses and a lot of larger companies are all outsourcing to offshore. As an organization where we like to be different is to make sure we really put that customer service focus first. Um, you know, We make sure that we don't have phone menu options. We don't have anything like that. We have just people that will help available to answer the call within you know, a very short amount of time. We're able to interact with that end user that's having an issue. you know. If we look at IT, for example, it's a very thankless industry. People don't generally call the IT help desk and say, oh, you've done an amazing job. Thank you. It's generally always, my thing's broken. Hurry up. I need to fix it. So it's important from our team's perspective that they put themselves in that customer's shoes and understand that you know, even though it might seem like a minuscule issue, that it could actually be impacting that person's day. So it's so important from our perspective for our team members to build rapport with our customers and continuously drive that customer service agenda every day.
2: Now, you're a great believer in systems to help your staff do those things. What kind of systems have you introduced?
1: Over the years, we've built up a great collection of systems. Um, The business is now at a point where we're heavily systematized. We're running approximately 31 systems to help us manage everything, but they're all heavily integrated. So examples of where those systems come in and play a big part is in our customer satisfaction uh, survey scores. Over the years, we've won consecutive awards in the international, national, and Victorian categories for business. And the important thing there was that we wanted to collect as much feedback from our customers as possible, but when you look at the average amount of feedback that's generally provided to surveys, you're sitting between 3 and 5%. Now, to me, that represented a very, very small portion of our customers, so I really wanted to get that up to the 50% mark. So we looked for a system that would help us do that, and I'm really pleased to say that over the past 12 months, we've consistently every month hit between 45 and 55% of feedback being provided back to us.
2: Now, Adam, tell us about your dashboards, which I believe are all around your offices. What are they and what are they chief
1: I'm very well known for my dashboards at work. Um, I'm consistently trying to add more. So across the business, I believe in transparency. And the only way as a business that we've been able to grow how we have is to continuously be able to provide our team members with the metrics that mean something to them. So across the business, we have approximately 15 to 20 dashboards and they're all displayed on large televisions throughout the office where we demonstrate back to team members a deep root analysis of what's happening within the business. A basic example would be how long is the current wait time in the help desk? We don't necessarily want to know how many calls are in the queue at the moment because that number is kind of arbitrary. There's not much you can do about that number. But to know how long the longest person has been waiting in that queue is a very important metric for us because we're able to then to make decisions in real time about how many more people do we need to jump on that help desk. Other examples are how many customers have been waiting for jobs to be finished that are over 24 hours old. In my opinion, a great customer service outcome is getting those jobs fixed for customers really quickly. So how fast can we turn that around and how do our team leaders know that they need to get more resourcing in by using casual pools or whatever it may be to help supplement our full-time resourcing to actually push through that workload. So those dashboards, again, play a big part in
2: that. Well, you have 55 people working for you these days, I gather. And whilst many people come and go, in your case, they often come and stay sometimes for more than five years or so, which is great. So what are you doing to create this loyalty in your team?
1: Culture is a a massive part of creating a, a loyal team. Whilst it's always difficult to predict how long a team member is going to stay there, you know you don't sit in an interview and say, oh, this person is going to stay here for one year or two years. But what you do need to do, I think you need to take it right back to that initial interview and say, we're looking for someone who's going to fit our culture. From a CT perspective, we look at our team and say, right, will this person blend into this culture? We've created a culture where our team members are all friends. They're incredibly loyal to each other. And it goes as a big advantage. You know, we, we see the team members often catch up and socialise outside of work. We encourage that behaviour during work hours. We don't sit there and, and block, you know, certain websites or anything like that. So we actually encourage this culture where everyone gets along and helps each other. But. As part of that, that presents its own challenges. You know, there's, there's plenty of challenges that can arise from that, such as efficiencies and things like that from team members. So it's important to counteract those measures by using things like those dashboards where everyone knows what's got to be achieved today to make sure we accomplish what we have to.
2: Well, I gather you make fast decisions, Adam. Is that true?
1: I do Indeed. If a decision has to sit there for longer than about 15 minutes, I'll just make a decision. I really believe that the worst decision to make is no decision. So I think you need to sit there and, and think, what are my options? And quickly make act on that so that you don't lose your team along the way.
2: Are you usually right?
1: I can't say I'm right every time, but, you know, we've achieved consistent growth. We've got a, a, an awesome team that have been with us for quite some time. We've got great customer satisfaction scores, so I'd say, yes, overall, we've probably done okay.
2: Now, you once said that Centurino Technologies is not just your job, but it's your hobby, your passion and your life. But hang on, Adam, haven't you got a wife and children too? Where do they fit in?
1: I do indeed. I have a wife and two young children. My wife, as a joke when we were getting married, said that the altar that she'd take me and my laptop um, as her husband. So I think I got that one past the wife pretty good. But no, I have an incredibly supportive family. Once I finish work, I go home and spend, you know, the better part of the evening with my family. I'm a massive socialiser. uh, So consistently having people over for dinner, or socialising as much as we can. But later on, once the kids have gone to bed, then I'm back on the laptop and I, I spend another three, four hours you know, working and trying to find new solutions and, and new ways to innovate.
2: I believe you're very uncomfortable on holiday if you can't take your laptop with you. Is that right?
1: Uh, I'm very uncomfortable on holidays at all. Uh, I'm not really a holiday <laughs> fan. But if I absolutely must go on holidays, then I need mobile phone reception and internet access. Otherwise, it doesn't happen.
0: Adam Santorino, Santorino Technologies, spoken like a true entrepreneur and innovator. Next week, we ask a serious question for all innovators and would-be innovators out there, especially those in the business world. What does it mean to have business soul? But what's soul got to do with innovative thinking, we hear you asking. Neville Christie, entrepreneur, mentor, innovator and founder of this podcast series, has plenty to say on the topic. In fact, he says a business without soul is a business facing the precipice now as disillusioned consumers turn their backs on an era of corporate greed. There's been
1: some extensive research done by trendwatching.com, which is pretty revealing. It actually said that uh, 75% of consumers in 24 consumer countries, including Australia, now no longer had any trust in big business at all, that only 39% of employees said that they trusted senior leadership, And some three-quarters of consumers around the world felt that companies were lying to them in advertising. So that and the real movement against greed, which we've seen in the GFC, is leading lots of people to say that business has lost its soul.
0: Neville Christie. And there's plenty more of that for anyone in the innovation space to consider as they grow their ideas. But that's next week. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Peter Letts. Innovating Cosmos is a global community of innovators and would-be innovators who innovate collaboratively to make the world better, richer, healthier and fairer for all.